Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Hey everyone, it's your favorite instructor, Ryan Bradshaw, and this is Business Law, and we are continue our coverage of chapter 15 which is on partnerships um trying to think of a few things to go over before we jump into that i will remind you that registration is ongoing for uh, the summer semester so if you haven't registered at least uh, drop your advisor an email let them know hey this is what my plans are not going to take summer classes or I am going to take summer classes uh, and this is how many classes I'm planning to take. Um, advisors are, uh, the first word to pop on my mind is scrambling. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but we are trying to just make sure that uh, everybody that wants to take classes uh, are you know able to get in and since most of us are working remotely, uh, we have just a little extra added challenge of you know, kind of a process change. And so we just want to make sure all the bases are covered. Everybody that wants to take classes can get in without problems. Uh, and so delaying, you know, your communication with your advisor is just uh, is not advisable just because um, we want to be able to have that good line of communication, let them know what's going on. And it just makes, uh, makes them, uh, I guess, more... Uh, knowledgeable about where all their advisees stand because they do have to report uh, to their chairs and deans on where their students stand as far as summer registration and the college just wants to get a sense too uh, of you know where where enrollment for summer is and when we start registering in fall they want to know that same information so um, I think it's a good practice to check in with your advisor probably on a uh, pretty uh, frequent basis and like early in and in, in the end of the semesters and then kind of like every month or every other month or so mid-semester just whenever he feels appropriate but uh, you want to have a good dialogue and good good line of communication with your advisor they're there to support you and making sure that uh, all the pieces of the puzzle come together so you can keep moving towards your goal um, I got an email yesterday from Dr. Walker, who is uh, the president of Wayne Community College. And if you've never met Dr. Walker or spent any time with him, you should try to make an effort to, uh, once, once we come back to a place where we're in person, which will happen at some point, uh, but get a, get a chance to meet him and spend some time with him. Uh, because really, really good guy to hang out with and talk to. Um, I got to spend some time with him this past year. Actually, it was last academic year. Um, he had a presidential reader series. The book we read was a book called Factfulness by a guy named Hans Rolling. And Hans wrote the book, or Hans, I guess is the better pronunciation. He wrote the book with his daughter, and his son-in-law, I believe. Um, but if you, if I could recommend, I guess one book uh, for the year to read, that would be it because it really puts things in perspective on so many different things. Uh, uh, basically, the the premise of the book is that a lot of our assumptions about big questions in life. Are, and big interpretations of the world are are wrong. Um, you know, like if you, just some of the topics he talks about are like hunger across the planet Earth, and you know, you it, probably in your mind when you think how many people, uh, you know, what percentage of people go without you know their their needs being met with regards to food on a daily basis. I mean, I don't know what number is in your mind right now. Uh, my first thought, if I hadn't read the book, would be probably, you know, 25% or something like that, you know. Um, but in actuality, in actuality, it's closer to 90% um, have their needs met uh, 
meaning that uh, on a daily basis, around 10% or so uh, are still not having their, f- their food and nutritional needs met. Um, and he talks about other, other key metrics. Probably the biggest metric from the book that he looks at and discusses is um, birth rates, infant mortality, um, and those two key factors are uh, very important in identifying kind of social progression in a country because he's, he was in the book he talks about how infant mortality used to be much higher in countries that are uh, I, I don't even the, the terminology I'm about to use is not even uh, as it's kind of taboo for the book but uh, they use the word developing countries uh, as a taboo because uh, it just doesn't fit appropriately. But he, the way he, he ranks the countries in the book is through tiers. And so I guess a uh, better descriptor would be lower tiered and higher tiered. So if a country from a lower tiered country on, on the, uh, I guess, development scale... Uh, is <clears throat> they've got high birth rates, like uh, a woman might have, let's say, five children. And the reason why she has five children uh, could be a number of things, like birth control access low or infant mortality is high because, you know, if you if you say, well, if I know one of my children or two of my children might die by age five, so women would have more children, in order to kind of compensate for those high infant mortality rates and also to to have children that work on family farms or uh, to, to work in whatever the family trade is. And so um, that's, those are some metrics. But the interesting thing for the book is that as uh, birth rates, birth rates will decline as women uh, become more educated, they enter the workforce uh, and more often, and uh, as those things occur, uh, infant mortality rates go down because it's a sign that the greater economy is uh, doing better, has better access to health care, and women uh, wait longer to have children. Uh, and you saw this kind of evolution happen in our own country, you know. Uh, if you rewind the clock, you know, say 150 years, you know, women would get married uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 14, 15, 16 and have, you know, several children uh, to work in agriculture and uh, because also because of high infant mortality. But fast forward to today, uh, women, you know, delay marriage, delay having children, uh, seek education and employment and have greater access to health care than they did 150 years ago. So <clears throat> really, really good book. And uh, I got to, like I said, spend some time with Dr. Walker. And one thing that has impressed me, I mean, there's several things, but he really is just thoughtful about what he says. And, and he is a, just a, a good person to look at from a leadership perspective he he's able to uh just be an empathetic and kind leader without flexing his authority i mean he has tremendous authority i mean he, he runs a large organization but he's very approachable i mean uh, just so many good leadership qualities uh with dr walker and i love that he's a thinker he's somebody that is uh just a very uh, interested in, in books and a diversity of topics. And so if you get some time to hang out with him, please do. But the reason I bring him up is that he sent an email yesterday to the faculty and staff, and the title of the email was called Endurance. And he basically gave us a brief one-paragraph uh, summation of where the college is. Um, he said that that all the community colleges in North Carolina have partnered together to create a master reopening plan just so that no college is left out and everybody is doing uh, a consistent approach to what to what they do. 
And I think it relieves individual colleges from having to make these tough decisions uh, on an individual basis. And it shows uniformity across the state so that, you know, no one college is left out. And uh, I think I think that's very good they're doing that. Um, but the second paragraph, it was a two-paragraph email, he starts off by writing something that really spoke to me. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it probably, but he said that probably the best thing we can do to remain safe is to, uh, manage the expectation that things will return to normal. That's the paraphrase. He, he didn't say that exactly, but he then the second sentence beyond that was that there is maybe perhaps there is no nor, no normal life only life something of that nature but basically what he's saying in that first sentence is that managing the expectation he didn't use that terminology but he, he was in a paraphrase form he said that that don't expect for things to return to the way they were in a very you know quick manner and me speaking personally outside of his comments is that I don't expect things to return to normal in, in quite some time. I mean, I would say a year minimum. Um, the uh, I, I was talking to my dad about this last night, uh, and you know, he said there's only two things that will uh, create a situation where we could go back to pre-pandemic I guess normalcy which would be an act of God or a vaccine uh, and or some type of sufficient treatment not a cure but some type of treatment that would uh, greatly mitigate you know the vaccine or the illness Um, I will say on this topic since we're you know I brought up the coronavirus again (laughs) I will say that I've seen a lot of I guess information out there and people out there that still are not taking this seriously. I got invited to a group yesterday on Facebook, uh, which I generally don't get on Facebook, but I would log in every couple of weeks just to manage my, I guess, uh, my uh, alerts or whatever, you know, notifications. And this group was a group that was kind of pushing to reopen the county. And you know, I, I on the one hand, I get the sentiment. I understand. You know, businesses want to reopen. You know, they need they need money. I get it. I teach business, um, but there was some very like uh, I guess not disturbing, maybe, but I guess concerning information that it said that uh, people who wore masks were not being safe. They were demonstrating their submission to the government. And, you know, that kind of language is, is dangerous. Uh, don't discourage people from trying to be safe. I mean, everybody has a right to, to try to be uh, safe in their person and to protect their families. And so having an attitude that this is not a serious event uh, or you can't get it or you're, you're young and not at risk, uh, those types of attitudes will really exacerbate the spread because uh, young people will get it they'll pass it to other people uh, and, and older adults and then there will be some fallout from that and and young people and middle-aged people are uh, having to be hospitalized and some are dying from this I mean we're already at close to 60,000 deaths so and and the majority of which happened in the past 30 days so continue to take this seriously don't I mean there's there is some uh, information that's available in, in groups and individuals that are really pushing a counter narrative but you know <clears throat> just because you believe something doesn't mean that it's true and just because uh, somebody has a certain ideology or way of looking at things doesn't mean that it's factually correct I mean I'm going to err on the side of science and caution uh, when it comes to people's health because you can really get in a bad situation quickly if you're not managing your health. And now more than ever, ever is a time to do that, to manage your health, making sure that you're being safe and uh, doing everything you can to promote 
a healthy immune system because this thing could get out of control very quickly and uh on a personal level you could you could end up in a becoming very ill and i, I would hate for that to happen so um all right let's see what else to talk about before i jump into the back into the lecture uh i guess that's it for now i did download a few things on netflix to check out uh, one of them is a comedy special i haven't i haven't watched it yet um i downloaded the angel has fallen um uh, i've watched the other movies in the series but i haven't watched this one yet so uh, i did download season one of ozark uh i'm planning to start that at some point <clears throat> so we'll see all right so getting back into the chapter so we we left off talking about uh partnerships chapter 15 and um the main emphasis is to, is talking about why they're important <clears throat> how they're formed how they're maintained and how they're dissolved let me take a water break one second That's one thing I've had to get used to is talking all these podcasts and lectures for just extended period of time. But so partnership law defines a partnership as the association of two or more persons to carry on as co-owners a business for profit, whether or not the persons intend to form a partnership. And so when you've got two or more individuals coming together to form a business entity or, or a business unit in a for-profit fashion, yeah, that's that's pretty much a partnership and how the how the law defines it. And there's so many things that uh, partners have to consider. I can tell you that um, in my management class, we've talked about several different management theories this semester, and one of them is called equity theory, and. The, the thing about partnerships is, is that if you sense, if you're working as a, with a partner and you sense that one partner is not being, uh, as, is working as hard or contributing as much, that can really mess with your equity theory and mess with your perception of fairness. Um, just bef- before I dive deeper into the chapter, I'll just tell you a story to talk a little b- more practical things about partnerships. Um, I've got a friend that, uh, he started a company and when he started the company, he took, he had two partners that came in and they all three together started a company and one partner basically had the capital, the money to make the thing happen. Another partner had the idea to start the company and the third partner was going to be what's called the managing partner. They were going to be on site managing the business. And so, yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of resentment and a lot of uh, issues that popped up. Um, and it didn't take too long, really. I mean, you know, everybody's excited in the beginning. You know, they got a new business. Things are going well. And... Um, you know, but after you know you get get things going six months, a year down the road, there's some resentment that builds up because the managing partner is there on site. They're there, basically uh, managing the day-to-day operations, regardless of what else happens. They're there, and the idea guy just showed up, you know, occasionally to get a check, you know, and then the investor guy. He's the guy that's holding the bag, you know. He's he's the guy that uh, basically all you know all the the details and all the money you know came from him. So uh, there was some definitely equity theory came into play, and it's important that you know this because you may at some point enter into a partnership agreement with somebody or open a, a business and consider taking on a partner. And it's very important that you know, even if you have a a good idea of what's going to occur and how it's going to work. Uh, you still need to, to think about perception, you know, because there's this phrase perception is reality and how people perceive things to be, even if they're not exactly that way, that to them is how it is. And so you need to be able to manage those perceptions. And if, if there's going to be a perception of inequality or, uh, an unequitable situation 
uh, you might want to really strongly consider uh, partnerships. And it, and I'll go a step further to say that uh, I would strongly discourage people from forming partnerships if you can launch the business on your own because uh, partners do have some benefits. I mean, you share the profits. I mean, you um, uh, they, they can bring additional funding. They can bring additional labor with, you know, whatever their contribution is. But uh, half the profits are, are going to the partner automatically. So you cut your profits in half. And they're, you're creating a situation where there could be disagreements, disagreements about effort and inputs and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I strongly discourage people from doing partnerships. And I even further strongly encourage people to not do partnerships with family members or friends because you might have a great personal relationship. Uh, but, you know, what's going to happen when you have a, a professional disagreements do you think you're going to be able to leave it at the door and say oh we had a fight at work about this and then when you get home just turn that off and say you know just don't remember what happened it's not exactly how it works i guess some people do that but you know i i I think i heard somebody talking within the past year they were describing uh the situation where they, they would go to meetings and have all kinds of harsh words at a meeting, but when they walked out, it was, it was done and nobody took it personally. And I'm thinking, come on, you know, if somebody yelled at me in a meeting or, uh, you know, cursed at me or whatever it might be, I'm not going to be able to turn that off when I walk out. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty hurt over it, and it's going to bother me. And so uh, I guess... That's how some people operate, but I just don't see it. I mean, uh, so just know that in a partnership, you're creating a situation where uh, it could open the door to some additional uh, issues. And so just just know that going in. All right. So generally you see partnerships forms with places like doctors, lawyers, other professional offices uh, where, you know, these individuals come together to form an alliance. Um so when we form a partnership, we don't uh, necessarily have to have everything spelled out, but it does help if we have things in writing. And so um, things you want to have on a partnership contract are each name, uh, the partnership name, the nature and scope and location of the business, the capital contributions of each partner, how profits and losses are to be divided, how salaries, if any, are to be determined, the responsibilities of each partner for managing the business, uh, limitations of the power of each partner to bind the firm, the methods by which a given partner may withdraw from the partnership, continuation of the firm in the event of the partner's death, and the formula for paying a partnership interest to his heirs or her heirs, and then the method of disillusion. And so... um, there's several different duties and rights that partners have. Uh, so basically, they have a duty to serve, to remain loyal, to care for the business to the best of their ability, to be obedient to the agreements, uh, to inform their co-partner of important notices and information, and um, to duty to maintain the books in, in an accurate way. And so those are the express duties. The rights, so the right is to have access to the money, the profits, um, so to share equally in the management, to choose a co-partner, to, um, uh, to access the property, whatever property they own, um, to assign partnership interests, and to enforce duties and rights. So there's several rights that partners have. And then when it gets to disillusion, uh, it's easier to get into a partnership than it is to get out of one because of the legal entanglements. So, and I've said this, you know, the same way for opening a business. You can open a business today. Just say, I'm open, and you can do it as a sole proprietor. You don't need to do any additional tax uh, forms to get, like, a tax ID. Uh, You can just say, I'm open, and, and have a product or service. But if once you get going... You might have, you know, some connections to vendors 
and customers and different accounts, banking institutions. And it might take you some time to unwind that, you know, because of these entanglements. And so it's easier to open a business than it is to to get out of one. Just like getting married. I mean, if you can go get married today, go to the courthouse, just to the peace. Hello, we're married. But to get out of a marriage, it takes some time, you know. It's uh, probably going to cost you some money. Unless you can have a amicable separation where everybody's okay, separate. Uh, even some states require you to be separated for a certain period of time before you can before you can get married, uh, divorced. Uh, I imagine some people can't afford to leave their home, and so they stay married just because they can't physically separate because there's nowhere else for them to go. And I'm, I'm sure there's people in that situation. Um, so just this is another important reason why you need to think about partnerships in a personal and professional sense because it is easy to get into one. It's hard to get out. And, uh, you know, it could take you some time to do that. So an LLC, this is a type of partnership. It's a limited liability company. You should have uh, learned about this in another business class. It's a bridge between the partnership and the corporate form, shared aspects of both forms. Uh, and you can be, you can't have a partner in an LLC. It's just the LLC defines things a little differently. Uh, and so business people always seek to limit their risk and their taxation. Uh, this is a rationale for the invention of hybrid forms. And so the history uh, gaining sweeping popularity in the late 20th century because of it, it combines the best aspects of partnerships and the best aspects of corporations. It allows all its owners, members, insulation from personal liability and pass-through taxation. All states have statutes allowing the creation of LLCs. And so sole proprietorship is the most basic form of business or, the, I guess, the foundational form. This is basically you operating a business as yourself and using your own social security number as your tax id um, if you wanted to i guess graduate to the next level of business in order to insulate yourself from liability you would uh, basically apply to have an llc a limited liability corporation um, if you'd wanted to form a partnership you, you know you had a partner that would be I guess similar to a uh, kind of a lateral, I guess, move on the I guess scale. I don't consider partnerships to be above or below LLCs, but corporations I do consider it a more complex and higher form of business. And um, you know I've said this before. I'll say it again. I don't know if I've said it to you guys this semester, but when I started teaching business, um, I and started learning about business and working in business, the things I emphasized were things like sales and things like marketing uh, and, uh, I guess, processes and operations, you know, and as I've kind of refined my message through teaching these past five years, I'll say that uh, two things that didn't stand out to me before but are but really stand out to me now, and I stress are taxes and exit because taxes are going to come get you if you if you have a business start operating and it just starts taking off before you know it you know you've done you know fifty a hundred thousand dollars in sales I mean these things happen I mean and, and really fifty a hundred thousand dollars in sales for a small business is not very much uh, but if you don't manage your taxes correctly, that first year, the tax man, the government is going to come after you and want a big chunk of the profits that you made. And so you have to be able to account for, you know, whatever inventory or uh, I guess if you have a service, you don't have inventory, but whatever expenses you have and account for how much those expenses cut into the revenue that you brought into and, uh, and and then determine what your final profit is and how much taxes you owe on that profit. And so taxation and taxes are such a uh, important part of the puzzle when it comes to 
understanding different business entities. And the reason I bring this up is because LLCs and corporations are taxed very differently. Um, LLCs basically mean that you have this limited liability, but you are that you're shielded from, you know, from the full liability. But from a tax perspective, uh, the money, the revenue flows through to you as an individual. And so you still are going to be taxed like, like you're earning income on that revenue and on the, on the profit. And so from a corporation side, uh, they're taxed a little differently. And so they, they were, they have, uh, they don't, the money does not flow through from the corporation to the individual the way it does. Like if you make a dollar, if you actually profit a dollar in an LLC, then you profited a dollar as an individual and you've earned that dollar as basically income from a, from a, if you own a corporation, when the corporation profits a dollar, you don't necessarily as an individual have to take on that dollar as income. Uh, as an individual, you can leave that dollar over on the corporate side and it will retain that dollar dollar and not having paid it out as income and allow it to to continue to build up and grow to give the company more money to operate with. Um, and so uh, but eventually, if you do start paying yourself out from the corporation, you will pay tax on that income. But having a corporation allows you if you've got a company that's really bringing in money and starting to you know generate some revenue the corporation allows you to i guess taper the amount of income that you can make as an individual because as your income goes up your personal income tax will go up uh and so uh it just i think it gives you a different kind of control over over that and it's always advisable. I'm not a tax accountant. I'm not a tax expert. It's always advisable if you are going to go into business to or have a business to talk to a tax accountant to understand these different considerations. Uh, because uh, once again, as you start making money, the government wants their uh, slice of that pie. So, so the creation of an LLC required that the LLC members file a certificate of organization with the Secretary of State, and the name must indicate that it is a limited liability company. Members' opening agreement spells out how the business will be run. Unless otherwise agreed, the operating agreement can be amended only by unanimous vote. Not a good forum if the owners expect to have multiple investors or raise money from the public. This is better suited for corporations. The typical LLC has relatively few members, six or seven at most, all of whom are usually engaged in running the firm. Early LLC statutes, at least, prohibited their use by professionals, like accountants, lawyers, doctors, etc., concerning, concerned about avoiding legitimate malpractice claims. For this reason, LLP was invented. Capitalization is like a partnership member. I'm sorry. Capitalization is like a partnership. Members contribute capital capital to the firm according to their agreements. As an, uh, a partnership, the LLC property is not specific to any member, but each has a personal property interest in general. Contributions may be in the form of cash, property, or service renders, or a promise to render them in the future. Agreement provides for member-managed or manager-managed LLC. Member-managed, all members have authority to bind LLC to contracts. Members vote have equal uh, weights unless otherwise agreed. Members have duty of care and fiduciary duties, um, which is the act in the best interest of the company. A manager manage, only managers have authority to buy the LLC. Managers have duty of care and fiduciary duties. Uh, Non-manager members do not. Another advantage over the corporation, no annual meetings requires. Now on that note, um, Having an annual meeting and keeping a ledger uh, or a record of meetings, that's really a, a minor detail and can be done very simply for a corporation. You don't have to keep – I mean, you could have a one-page summary of an annual meeting. Uh, so th- the reason I mention this, don't – I mean, 
LLCs are appropriate for most small businesses, but you could at some point open a corporation. <clears throat> There's a few extra things you have to do, but it's not so burdensome that it's it makes it you know off-putting. <coughs> Excuse me. I say compensation distributions are allowed among members of an LLC according to the operating agreements. No agreement then allocated among members in proportion to contributions made to the LLC. So basically, you can have an agreement that allocates distributions of money, or you can have a proportional proportionality where if you contribute 10% and somebody does 25, well, at the end of the day, when the profits are handed out, the 25% person you know, is going to get 25% of the profits, and you're going to get the 10%. So... So with a LLC, um, not liable to outsiders, only recourse is LLC property. Um, so they can't come after your home if you have an LLC. Taxation is treated like a partnership for tax purposes. And then lastly, we get into the dissolution. Termination refers to how the entity uh, entity's life as a business ends or how a member's interest in the firm ends. Continuity of life is the first step of termination of LLC is dissolution. The typical LLC statute provides that an LLC will dissolve upon expiration of LLC's terms per the agreements, events specified in the agreement, written consent of all members, event of disassociation of a member unless members agree to continue, judicial degree of dis- decree of dissolution, changes in membership that results in fewer than two members, expiration of two years after administrative administration dissolution. I'll say that um, a lot of, uh, you know, LLCs try to go on in perpetuity, but if a member does die or, you know, a partner dies, um, you know, the other partner, they would have some agreement in place to say uh, that they would buy them out or the, then the fam- or the family would inherit uh, their uh, part ownership, you know. So uh, in the case of a corporation, you can actually issue stock. And let's say that, you know, if you've got two people that form a corporation uh, and the corporation issues, let's say, 10 million shares of stock, uh, that are worth you know less than a penny a piece in the beginning maybe I don't know, but uh, over time they build value. Let's say they build up to the company's worth you know somewhere where the stock is valued at, at a penny a piece something like that. Um, your once you pass away those shares could be left in your estate and passed to your your heirs or family members or whatever it may be. So, all right guys, this does conclude chapter 15's discussion. I'll be back on Friday to do kind of a recap and talk, talk about some more practical application. If you need anything in the meantime, please let me know. All right. Have a great rest of your week. Talk soon. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well. Hey everybody, it's your favorite instructor, Ryan Bradshaw, and this is a podcast for Principles of Management. And I have some special guests since we are here at the end of the year that I want to introduce everybody to. This is my baby son, Jack, who is four years old. Jack, can you say hello? Hello. Say, say hello. How are you? Hello. Hello. Well, hey. Okay, so what would you like to tell my students? What would you like to say to them? What? What? Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you an easier question. Will you next? Wait, wait, wait. You want to tell them you love toys? I love toys. Okay, so what kind of toys do you like? Elmo toys. Elmo toys, okay. Yeah. So what, Jack, can I ask you some questions tonight? You can ask you questions? Okay. So what is your favorite food? Um, McDonald's. McDonald's <laughs> is your favorite food? What What do you like to eat at McDonald's? A Happy Meal. A Happy Meal? And what is your favorite thing in the Happy Meal? Chicken nuggets and fries and the toys, chocolate milk. Chicken nuggets and fries and the toy and the chocolate milk. Okay. Well, I think that, look, 
I think that is excellent. And so when you go outside to play, what do you like to do when you go play outside? Um, play with my toys in the trampoline. Play with your toys in the trampoline. Is that fun? And Bella, too. And Bella, too, your sister? Uh, and ride and ride stuff in the house. Ride stuff in the house? You like to do that? You like to ride little scooters and stuff in the house and, and play? Yes. Yeah. So what is the your favorite thing to play with your sisters? Um. Do you like to chase your sisters? Uh, do you like to have them chase you? Yeah, is that is that just tons of fun? Yes. Yeah. Jack, what is your favorite holiday? Um You like Christmas? Uh-huh. What about birthdays? You like your birthday? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question, Jack. How old are you now? 4. You're 4 years old? Okay. Well, you're getting to be a, a big boy, aren't you? Yeah. Did you know, can I ask you another question? Is that okay? Now, did you go swimming yesterday at your grandma's house? No. Well, you didn't. Well, I saw you go swimming a little bit. Did Jenna and, and your your big sister hold you, Ava? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. While you were going swimming? <laughs> now, can I ask you, was the pool cold when you got in? Uh-huh. Was it really cold? Did it make you shiver? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well... Let me, uh, I'm going to take a time out and talk to your other sister, your, your other sibling here. This is uh, my middle child. I don't know if I've introduced you to her yet. I think I think she actually talked on another podcast with my other class. Hang on, son. Where do we put that thing? I don't know. Where it went. Here it is. Here we go. Here you go. Well, here is, uh, this is my middle child, Miss Bella Bradshaw. Here she is. Hello. And how are you doing tonight? Good. Okay, Bella is doing good. We've established that. Well, come over here. Let me let's talk. Okay, so um, we played a game earlier. And what what was the game like? What what, what did we do earlier when we were riding down the road? What game did we play? Oh, we play this game where we guess what um, year the the like the Disney movies come out, and it was really fun. So, who ended up winning that game? I think you won, right? I, yeah, I think I won. Yeah, that's right. Well. So tell me about how things are going since you've been out of school. How have how you been dealing with the pandemic and being at home with daddy and, and your brothers and sister, your brother and sister? How, how's things going? Um, really good. I like to play with Jack and my biggest sister, and I like to snuggle with mommy and daddy, and it's just been really fun. Okay, not bad. And so um, tell me about your typical day. What do you like to do throughout the day that's fun for you? Eat, sleep, and play play in the house, watch TV, play outside, and go in the woods. Okay. So, yeah, Bella and her older sister have developed a fort that they, a secret fort hideout that they go and, and play in the woods. And then Bella came and saw me is there yesterday or the day before yesterday and says, Daddy, I got to tell you something. <laughs> she'll do that every once in a while. And then she'll say, uh, Ava and I like, brought in a scooter while... You were away, and we've been riding this scooter in the house, and it's just one of those little, you know, two-wheeler scooters, but... And another one, too. Yeah, yeah, but they, they just, uh, they thought since they cleaned off the floor very nicely that they could just ride around in the house on scooters. So that's, you know, it's not electric, it's or, or motor-powered, it's just a kick scooter, but... Yeah. So, what's your, like, Ava, um, Bella, what's your favorite holiday? Christmas and Halloween and Valentine's Day well, and Easter. <laughs> okay, what was your favorite holiday? Oh, all these holidays? Uh, okay, I got you. Well, if you had to pick one, though, which one would you go with? Christmas. Probably Christmas? Okay. Because uh, it's about celebrating Jesus and you get gifts, but that's not the thing about Christmas. It's about love and Jesus and God. Well, see, you know, when you're a kid... It's, it's all a, about the present. Well, not just that, but, you know, you think about it in terms of what am I getting. But as you get older, it's what what you're giving. You know, like I, I get a lot of joy out of picking out presents and prizes for other people and uh, doing nice things for people. So that's that's good. I, I like Christmas, yeah. too. Yeah, Christmas is, is a win. Daddy does Christmas every day because he is very kind. Well, I appreciate that. I try to try to bring the christmas spirit year round <laughs> so well tell tell everybody what we did this morning what did we do this morning we went to a potato drop uh, explain what that is we explain it's what that is. like 
where you go put potatoes in this large truck and they send them off into to like a um like a nursing home maybe well they they give them to food pantries pantry. right and they give them to uh, other food distribution agencies like the the food bank and so what happened today was uh, and what's happening pretty much year round but but you know now we're seeing a larger influx uh, you, you probably know that I, I work part-time with the Society of St. Andrew, which is a basically a food salvage and gleaning organization. We, we work with uh, farmers, and we work with uh, food distributors, and we work with um, uh, agencies and volunteers in order to get produce that is either left in the field or overstocked produce. Uh, and today, we were fortunate to have... Uh, an 18-wheeler full of potatoes that had 18 pallets. Each pallet weighed approximately 2,200 pounds, so right at 20,000 pounds of potatoes. And um, we met at this place called the Mercy Center outside of Goldsboro and closer to the uh, Rosewood area. And these different food agencies um, basically showed up to take those potatoes to different places throughout the eastern North Carolina and in the middle of the state. What, what you got? Well, go ahead and ask, or, or say what you got. Oh, okay. Well, Bella wants me to ask her what her favorite food is. So, tell me what's your favorite food? Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Now, this is a true confession. How old are you now? I'm nine years old. And so, you just had Taco Bell for the first time last week. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, and I don't understand how that happens because uh, I've been going to Taco Bell for a while. I don't go that often. You know, I think I did mention in class that uh, Taco Bell is kind of one of those things that I get like once every three or four months, and then I realize, okay, that's enough for the next three or four months. But Bella did want to try it, and what did you have the the first time you tried Taco Bell? I had a quesadilla with two Cinnabons and a Dr. Pepper, and it was so good. Okay. And then tonight you tried something different, right? What did you try tonight? I had, I had a two two soft tacos with uh, steak, lettuce, and cheese in it. It was so good. And I had a Baja Blast drink. Okay. But a lot of the times, Daddy will cook, won't he? And so what is some of the things that I've cooked recently that you really like? Um, spaghetti and... Um, we had tacos last night. Tacos... Chicken. You mean the other night because Jack stayed. Well, no, we had we had tacos last night. Remember? At, oh yeah. yeah. And then I uh, also grilled some chicken. That's good. Mm-hmm. And hamburgers and hot dogs. And pork chops yeah. and uh, chicken. So all kinds of good stuff. Did you did you know that we may be facing a meat shortage? That's something in the news. That's where. Uh, some of the meat factories have closed down because of the coronavirus, and they're saying that we could have a meat shortage. I don't know if we will or not, but we'll, we'll be all right regardless. But um, what is your favorite meat? I don't. I don't know if I know. Chicken. Probably chicken. And yeah. Steak and pork chop. Chicken and steak and pork chop. That's her favorite. Her favorite individual meat. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Well, what else would you like to say before we get into the lecture? And you can help me with that a little bit. Um, I love Taco Bell. <laughs> I love Taco Bell. That's a great way to end it. Well, okay, Bella. Well, what we're doing right now is we're talking about Chapter 15, and that's on managing teams. What I do is I teach students about management. That's one of the topics I talk about. I also talk about the law and, and business law because I teach business. And I talk to people about how to start businesses. And I talk to people about how to manage them. And uh, just several different... Being a manager, kind of. Yeah, being a manager. That's correct. And so each, uh, each part of our lecture, each part of the conversation I have with students, there's a main topic. And this week's main topic is on managing teams. And the things I've talked about... Um, when I last started talking about this, we talked about emotional intelligence. This is where, don't you know when you have like, uh, you, you sense somebody is not feeling happy or they are feeling happy? Do you do that sometimes? Yes. Well, that's what managers are supposed to do too. They're supposed to sense 
how other people are thinking and feeling. That's called emotional intelligence. And uh, managers are supposed to collaborate, bring people together, and be able to uh, manage many different types of personalities. So this is some stuff we talked about last time. We also talked about Bruce Tuckman. He was a professor, and he came up with this idea of stages of group development. And in the stages of group development, they start out by forming a team. Then they go through this phase called storming, which is where they're trying to figure each other out. And then they start normalizing. And then they start performing. And, you know, families go through this, too. Did you know that? Because sometimes we form a family, right? And then we, like, have to get used to each other. You know, anytime, like, for a while it was just me, you, and Ava, and Mommy, right? And then Jack came along and messed everything up, right? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, but, but when Jack came along, it was a new adjustment we had to make, right? Because we had a new baby. We had, we had a crib. I didn't really like him. I would used to always put my face in his crib, and he would always pull on my hair, and it yeah. would hurt, and he would cry all night, and I didn't like it. I was thinking to myself, I don't like this baby, but but y'all know I probably do really love him. Oh, well, I have to compliment you because you are my extra set of eyes on Jack, and I do appreciate that. So... Uh, organizations and families, they form, then they storm to figure each other out a little bit, then they normalize, and then they start performing and going through a kind of a everyday flow, you know, workflow. And there's an extra step that Tuckman talked about called adjourning. It's when uh, a team kind of breaks up and goes on their uh, merry way, so to speak. And another thing I talked about the other night was this idea of paradoxes, um, which is where you have to manage two different competing priorities like what people want to do as individuals and what the priorities for the team are that's what's called a paradox and so we're going to start on new material and uh, let's see yeah i don't actually have a whole lot more for this chapter because it is a short chapter but um the last thing i talked about before um started on new material was this relationship that managers individuals and teams have there's three parts and we have to kind of manage all three of those aspects all right so we've got two three more slides and then we'll be done with this chapter and so the last few things to talk about are boundaries conflict and mining boundaries these are these space between teams and external forces, stakeholders, and pressures. It's a delicate balance of strategy, stakeholder management, and organizational behavior. The team manager must serve, in part, as a buffer to these external factors so they don't derail or distract the team from its goals. There are many sources of conflict for a team, whether it's due to a communication breakdown, competing views or goals, power struggle or conflicts between different personalities. The perception is that conflict is generally bad for a team and that it will inevitably bring the team down and cause them to spiral out of control or off become off track. You know, do you think conflict is bad, Bella? Um, like fighting? Yes. Yeah? Do you think fighting can uh, be a good thing sometimes, though, to help people figure things out? No. Yeah, you definitely want to try to keep conflict to a minimum. Uh, there's this other technique called mining. It can be used in teams that tend to avoid conflict. This technique requires that one team member assumes the role of the miner of conflict, someone who extracts buried disagreements within the team and sheds light, th- sheds light on them. And so uh, there's a great graphic I want to draw your attention to, and uh, it's Exhibit 15.7. It's how we respond to conflict. Um, the best advice I can give you from a practical standpoint on managing conflict is that you, to address it, don't avoid it. Don't sweep it under the rug. If, if there is some type of conf- conflict that's brewing, go ahead and air it out and uh, go ahead and address it directly and don't avoid it. All right, and this last little bit uh, to mention with regard to managing teams is to talk about diversity. Uh, Diversity is a word that's very commonly used today, but 
the importance of diversity and building diverse teams can sometimes get lost in the normal process of doing business. Um, there was this aspect of diversity we talked about in a previous chapter called deep and surface level diversity. Diversity for the surface is where we look at people from a gender and from a race, ethnicity perspective. But deep diversity is this idea of the way people think, the way they feel, uh, their experiences. And that sheds a whole new light and layer to the individual. And so you could have um, a good, diverse mix of people uh, with regards to surface level but sometimes it's good to have people from different cultures, backgrounds, uh, ideologies to really give you a rich, diverse environment. And so um, that is officially the last slide from chapter uh, 15 uh, on managing teams. I know that was a short chapter, but we are here at the very end of the semester and we are moving right along with our uh, uh, into our last chapter, which is going to be on ma uh, managerial communication. And I'm just going to talk about that briefly kind of as, as a preview, um, and then we'll get into that last lecture next week. Yes, ma'am. Bella wants to chime in. Is this a short chapter or a long chapter? That's a good question. Both 15 and 16 are short chapters because we kind of get into the final week and uh, the final chapters, and um, some instructors... Like, they actually may not include every chapter in the book, but I really push to try to cover every chapter in the book just to, I guess, give students their money's worth and at least briefly touch on a topic so their students are familiar with that. But this chapter 16 on managerial communication basically talks about how we communicate, how information is received, uh, and understand the communication process. So in, in your opinion or understanding, Bella, what is communication? Do you know? Um, talking to each other. Okay, talking to each other. That's correct. There's a process that happens because before you even speak, if you're going to use speaking as a mode of communication, you have to think about what you're going to say, right? Yep, so you think that's called encoding. And then when you send out your message, that's called trans transmitting. And then when I hear your speech or your whatever language, whether you're using body language or giving me a look or, or speaking to me, I have to decode uh, what you're telling me. I have to interpret what you're telling me. So communication is actually a little complicated, but we kind of take it for granted because... We, uh, we hear and understand instantly sometimes. Like if someone speaks another language, something like that, kind of. Right, right, right. So, yeah, there's many facets of communication. Um, uh, another thing we have to understand when it comes to managerial communication is the different types of communication that are within organizations, like speeches, one-on-one um, -on -one communication, small groups, email, and digital communication. Uh, there's this thing called the grapevine. Have you heard this song? I've heard it through the grapevine before. Um, the grapevine is basically a gossip uh, line that people talk, you know, kind of informally talk. And those gossip or grapevines do exist within organizations. Uh, and so we're going to get a little deeper into Chapter 16 uh, next Tuesday. That'll be our lecture on Chapter 16. But... Um, I guess for tonight, though, what else would you like to share with the students? Um, I hope you're safe and um, stay home and don't go to Walmart because <laughs> <laughs> it's very dangerous. But, but if you do, wear gloves and a mask and sanitize after you get out. That's very good advice. And can I ask you, if you were a manager, Bella, what type of store manager would you be? Where would you like to work? McDonald's. And why would you like to work at McDonald's? Because I guess it's good. Yeah. And I, if, if, I, if I worked any other job, I would be a um, person who studies the weather. Oh, a meteorologist. Or a weather girl. Okay, so somebody that interprets the weather and presents it. The meteorologists is what they're called. Yeah, that's excellent. So you want to go to college and study maybe science? We'll see. Okay. How long?
do have to stay in college for that? Oh, that's a good question. I think you can go um, probably, I would say six years maybe for with a master's degree, something like that. Yeah, but, well, it takes a long time to learn things. So, But uh, if you get to study something that you enjoy and it leads to a job that you enjoy, that's a good thing. So, all right. Well, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to gonna tell everybody bye. So say goodbye to everybody. Bye. All right, folks, I appreciate your time and attention. And if you need anything at all, please uh, send me an email and I'll be in touch again soon. Have a good day.